on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome back everyone to season two of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, where we deep dive into uplift with insight, thanks to remarkably informed guests exploring the nature of our human nature and how to better relate to it. If abnormal is the new normal and perceiving is the new believing, then inner is the new outer and consciousness is our source for healing. Yet for many, it seems like anything but the dawn of an era of well-being. So what's going on? Well, if you look at it from the outside in, it's the same old conflictual story getting pretty wacky and scary. But now we're raising the bar by raising awareness that this mess of our humanness can only be resolved from the insight out. Think about that play on words, insight as an in inciting violence versus insight as in vision that emanates from a profound shift in perception about the world around us and within us. This is a mighty discussion space featuring mighty voices of loving change, two of whom are our co-hosts on this adventure through humanity's hero's journey. Let me welcome back our esteemed Irvin Laszlo, two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, world-renowned philosopher and system scientist, author or co-author of over 106 books, founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and recipient of multiple honors and awards like the Goya Peace Prize, the SCC Mandir of Peace Prize, and the Luxembourg Peace Prize. And Fred Sau, business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author, chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle, and founder of Vitea Institute and Octave Institute, fusing ancient wisdom and quantum science as a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life, mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. Move over Amazon, here comes My Green Pod, a family-run UK business founded by today's guests, Katie Hill and Jarvis Smith, who support company brands dedicated to offering ethical alternatives to mainstream products and services. Unlike any other company, My Green Pod personally connects with these conscious conscious owners and conscientious owners delving into each enterprise's entire DNA to ensure their authenticity and good energy. Many businesses are cashing in on trends toward natural and organic products, but if those companies are, are not focused on the ethical aspects, if, if they are trying to get to be first to market, whether in packaging, supply chains, ingredients, or, or staff well-being, they won't be featured on My Green Pod's website. You don't have to give up fashion or fine dining or cleaning up your act environmentally because these so-named hero products and services represent select companies working cooperatively with the planet. Each purchase from My Green Pod's marketplace plants a tree in the tropics through their charity partner, Tree Sisters. Katie's a formidable writer, Jarvis an outrageously talented singer, and both are inspired entrepreneurs and our guests that we want you to know better. So welcome both. And before we deep dive into this, let me begin with a beautiful quote from Fred on page 60 of Dawn of an Era Wellbeing a book. He says, well-being is a system-wide concept. Being well means not just the well-being of one individual, but of everything and every body. For one to be well, all must be well. And for all to be well, evolution must be continuously moving in alignment with the impetus of the universe, thereby allowing the flourishing 
of life. If life is flourishing, everything is aligned with the evolutionary impetus of the Tao. And now I'm going to couple that wonderful quote with a recent one from high-level climate champion Nigel Topping from August 4th. He says, in the past month alone, Shanghai issued its highest alert for extreme heat for the third time this summer, requiring construction and other outdoor work to be reduced or paused. London saw the highest number of fires since World War II, and flights at Luton Airport halted due to a melted runway as the capital breached a record 40 degrees Celsius. That's 104 degrees Fahrenheit, folks. Tehran experienced power, powder, power, not powder outages, power outages due to a heat wave compounded by a severe drought that pushed up power prices. So Irvin, I don't think any of us expected a blistering 104 degrees Fahrenheit in London, least of all you who were celebrating for the umpteenth time and how wonderful your 90th birthday week there. Uh, I want to, first of all, all of us want to wish you again, happy birthday. And to know that you survived the heat wave, Irvin. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, Alison. Still, okay, well, it's not easy, but here's my question that can jumpstart this conversation with everyone. If everything is energy, could we say that our collective emotional states can further inflame that of the weather? Is our overheated worldwide emotional climate actually impacting and influencing that of our environment. And if we diminish our carbon footprints, will we still have to account for our emotional footprints? Think of this like a car engine. Even when you turn off the motor, it still takes time for the engine to cool down. Irvin, let's start this. Well, I think if we achieve well-being as Fred writes, then this, we, have a, we have an emotional climate that is positive, that is constructive for, for the world around us, for other people too. We're all joined join together. And so our emotional energy is not going to heat up the planet. Our emotional energy creates well-being for us. And if we see a well-being, true well-being, then we have well-being for others, then also others are well. So I think uh, a good emotional climate, a good ethical basis for our life is in our interest, but it's in the interest of all people, indeed, of for all life on Earth. I think as our guest today will, will show that how important it is to be ethical for the common good, for our good, and for the good of everyone on this planet. Beautifully said. Let me bring in Jarvis and Katie then and hear what they have to say about ethics and emotional climates and the environment overall. Well, I think for ethics, God, it's going back a long way now. I did, I did study Aristotle for a while and it was all about the mean between two vices, wasn't it? That was the kind of the best way to live and the most ethical way to live that you would never, you would never go kind of over the top in one way or another. And I think if we all translated that to the way that we live and the way that we shop and the way that we treat the planet, then we'd be in a very different state. And that would, I do believe, lead to a much healthier state of well-being for everybody. If we just don't overconsume, we don't underconsume, but we just we just use the Earth's resources in a fair, sharing, loving way um, and put back what we take. And that's 
something that's at the cornerstone of my green pod, isn't it? It's something that we've always believed in that you don't just take, you, you have to give back. And at the moment we're in a situation where we have to do more than give back. I think you can't just replace what we've taken because we're already in a downward spiral. So we have to go above and beyond that now um, and look at going beyond restoration. And I think that should be the next frontier really for shopping and for, for consumption in general. Mm. Indeed, Jarvis. How is good shopping? What, <laughs> what is a good shopper? <laughs> shopping is more our organization, yes, yes. But I mean, how would you define that? If, if you go shopping in the supermarket, how do you become an ethical shopper? Well, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. One of the first things we say on our website is if you don't need it, don't buy it. So the best shopper is the person that doesn't have to go out and spend money consuming things. So that's the first point. The second part is we describe our platform as a as the least toxic environment where you can spend your money. So nothing is perfect. We all know that. But we don't sell products that are absolutely toxic and could be natural, organic, um, made in co-creation uh, with 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 the earth. I mean, of course, we need resources in order to live. We need sustenance. We need water. We need air. We need food. The basic basic things. But uh, in the West, we've become so addicted to other things, like you know, toilet paper, for example. Mm -hmm. So people are chopping down, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of acres of forest for toilet paper. And what we're saying is, is well, if you're going to use toilet paper, if you think you need toilet paper, then at least use a recycled version of a material that is already out there so we're not cutting any more trees down so that's one example of hundreds of thousands of examples that we could we could give you mm. sounds, sounds like a great example can you give us a, a couple more i mean they were very good so okay but we, we took note of the need to, to take the right kind of toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> what else Maybe maybe Katie could choose her favorite product. Isn't I think something that we've something that we've kind of slowly realized more and more as time's gone on with the with the online shop is that there's no such thing. And the more the, the more people, other companies talk about it as well, there is no such thing as a 100 percent sustainable product. There just isn't because it would have to have been grown in your backyards biodynamically with all along organic principles. It wouldn't have been shipped anywhere. It wouldn't have any packaging. It wouldn't have any carbon footprint of any legacy, any negative legacy on the environment at all. So there's just there's just no such thing. <laughs> so I think what is most important is for people to really tune into what matters to them whether it's about being cruelty free so there's no harm done to animals whether it's um organic because they've got sensitive skin or they've got a new baby perhaps and they want to use only very natural ingredients um there is so whether they really really care about plastic and plastic pollution whether they want to have plastic free packaging but it's very difficult to get a product that that ticks all of those boxes because they just they just don't they can't um so what we've come to understand is that you know you need to really kind of pick pick and choose a little bit um about what sustainability means to you and for me it's things like multitasking products so maybe a, a kind of a shampoo bar that's also a soap bar that you just take into the shower with you it's got no packaging it's all natural you use it on your hair you use it on your body and you don't need 50 different products 
Um, you just use the one and you use it on the whole family. It's a unisex fragrance. You know, there's no reason why we need to have all these ridiculous, <laughs> these ridiculous products clogging up our shelves and our bathrooms just because some brand or adverts told us that we need them and we've believed it. It's ridiculous. So. There, there was a survey done during the pandemic. Um, and what Katie's saying is it was, was beautifully illustrated. So when everybody got, I mean, it's the first time globally that we've had a collective uh, situation that's happened, certainly in, in most of our lifetimes. And they did some research on what people were buying and people resorted to buying what would be described as essential products. And it turned out that nearly 85% of products that people are buying on the planet are non-essential. So that equation just says a lot about the consumer behavioral advertising spun hollywood spun materialistic outside world that you know that we've been shown or, or some of us even born into is is the very thing that's killing us so um yeah so <laughs> we could go on about this a lot <laughs> well, what is the bottom line that's what be interesting yeah we use the 15 percent that are essential okay yeah and if we choose the right products, the most uh, most energy saving and resource saving products, could we achieve a kind of an equilibrium between human life and nature, or are we condemned to overproduce, to to over overreach our limits or the limits of the planet? Well, very very, very brief. Yeah, I mean, Irving, very briefly, economics is set up to get people to continue to buy stuff because there is this silly quote that says money makes the world go round. We all know that's a lie, right? So so the system that's been set up, unfortunately, is now the very system that that that, that is damaging us. So 60% of the problem, as far as statistics um, can tell, is human behavior. So I think the short answer to your question is, yes, we can, if 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 you know, the 99.9% the, the .9 of the population change their behavior rapidly. It would have a 60% positive effect on the planet. The other, the other part is getting out of the way because we all know that nature's way more intelligent than we are. <laughs> it's been around longer, it will be around longer, and we've been here for a blip and we're causing, seem to be causing uh, a lot of damage. But maybe that's part of the spiritual journey for humanity. Maybe that's the awakening and the conscious um, evolutionary aspect that we all signed up to with the planet, with Gaia, with the universe, with spirit. You know, maybe. So, you know, there's a philosophical approach to it as well. But Katie, how would you how would you answer that? I'd, well, I've just been um, I've just been reading about how humans have always managed to, even as we were evolving, we've always managed to destroy our environments. Absolutely, because as we travelled, um, we just managed to destroy everything around us. And when we travelled, when humans first travelled to Australia, there were so many animals there, and there's so many large mammals, and they were all just completely wiped out by by humans because they didn't evolve fast enough to understand that these very non-threatening, two-legged not strong, no sharp teeth, no sharp nails or anything. They just looked at us as as just, I don't, I don't know, just a, a game probably. And yet we were able to hunt and kill them to extinction. So we've always managed to to overreach, as you as you put it, and to kind of to take more than we needed to take and to and to just and to just destroy and change the landscape and the environment around us. And that's not something to do with consumption it's just something that i really 
do fear might be written into the human DNA, and that's a, it's a horrible thing to think. Um, but it just it's just happened time and time again. Well, but it seemed to happen since the Neolithic. Mm. A group of people, yeah, who are not satisfied with living on what nature produces, or what they can produce pastoralism, basically, you know, and animal husbandry. But they went out to plant things and to to read to breed uh, species and for their own use, etc. I mean, then the, 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 this business of overconsumption started already there. We have said goodbye to the natural way of living on Earth, you know. And actually, a small group of people started it in, in the Middle East. They moved to Europe, and, and then it spread. <clears throat> the rest of humanity often lives, continues to live in a more sustainable way. So if we talk about what's possible and what we can contribute to it, the task is a philosophical one, as Jarvis has just said. Maybe what, what is the aim for what can we aim for? Reduce the harm that we do? Yeah. Can we go any further than that? The best we can do is to do less harm. That's a very sad comment on the human condition, actually. Yeah, agreed. A, a, a cancer on the, on the planet. It can mm. only become a not-so-bad cancer, let's say, a slower cancer. Mm. Well, exa exactly that. I mean, I, I think that, you know, our, our business was set up upon principles that as far as i can tell a lot of businesses in fact most businesses are not set up from so my my study before getting into business together with katie was with a female shaman i studied with a female shaman for nearly 14 years about the principles of natural laws and actually what it feels to me is is that you know if you are going to operate in a society currently that is addicted to the outside world and to the outside experience, then the only way to operate, because of course we need money, we need to, you know, we need to live, is to operate as close to natural laws and as, as far away from man-made laws as possible. So our business was set up with a non-competitive nature. It was set up to put planet people, purpose and profit in that order. It was set up in the principles of Katie and I being, you know, in, in it equally, you know, gender balanced. It was set up with a view of bringing, you know, thousands and thousands of other businesses into the pod, into the community, um, like dolphins would swim together. And, and 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 essentially be playful. Now, of course, that doesn't really answer your question because ultimately, um, I believe that we've just simply lost our true essence of beingness. So we all live mentally, physically, emotionally, but hardly anybody I know is living with the spiritual balance as well. So a lot of our work, although it doesn't look like it on the on the front, um, it deep within the DNA of what we do is trying to educate and inspire and remind people that we are nature. There is no disconnect between the product that we sell and the being that you are. It's just that you may have forgotten that way of being. So we're trying to invite people through consumption <laughs> to help nature speak to them uh, through the products that they use. And a really good example of this is this. A company that we work with, uh, they sell kombucha. And as you know, within kombucha is the living organism, a SCOBY. And every day, 
the uh, directors of, of the organization go in, communicate with the SCOBIs, ask the SCOBIs, what is it that will be best of service for us uh, and for this business? And the SCOBIs tell them, just get us out. Just get us out there and let people drink us and we'll do the rest of the work. Now, that's the kind of conscious philosophy that, that I feel my green pod has been built upon. I'm not suggesting at all that we know everything because clearly we do not. But if you're at least open to the information that's available to us beyond the normal human existence and paradigm, then there could potentially be hope to encourage or be a beacon of light for others to experience themselves in another way. It does sum up quite well with the, the type of business that we choose to work with as well though doesn't it because they do all have they all operate in service to people and planets um so yeah it's a good example of the type of business that we that we intentionally um want to kind of bring into the pod and work alongside and support so that with the power of all those companies together they can and we we can help them to take on the big huge brands that they are com the complete antithesis to so that they are they're on a level playing field by the power of unity um along those lines so yeah that's it that's certainly the type of person that's the type of business approach that we that we look for when we're when we're sourcing and curating products well you know we use that term my associates and myself is a term which seems to me applying to what you are saying it's called new paradigm yeah. You know, the old paradigm is look for yourself, look for your own interests in the short term. And, and the new paradigm There's is. There's a new paradigm right now. Here, here he is. There's the new paradigm. <laughs> yes, Would that this were a video and not a podcast audio, then everyone who's listening could see this darling new paradigm that belongs to. <laughs> Katie and Jarvis, yeah. <laughs> eighteen months old, has just joined the uh, just joined the conversation. We actually, we actually, Alison and Irvin, we run our own uh, podcast called My Green Podcast, of course. So, um, it, if sometimes Herbie does appear on our video podcasts and uh, become quite a feature, <laughs> so we'd love to invite you to um, to come and join us on our podcast if we if you would be um, willing willing to do so. It'd be lovely to be able to interview you as well. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. I'm concerned to spread this kind of living uh, as much as possible, just to create a movement yeah. for an upshift. That's another word. We use new paradigm. I have an institute called the Glasgow Institute of New Paradigm Research. We are now starting a new movement, which connected with the institute, which is called the upshift movement. Yeah because my latest book is called The Upshift, The Path to Healing and Evolution on Planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And many of these principles that you, that you actually live by. And now there is increasing interest in the new paradigm for business. Yeah. And so that's something we have to spread, and you're doing it by example. Yes. So I think it's a question of very much of making it known that there is a better way to conduct business. And, and better for us is better for your what's your, what's your name of your little Herbie. Herbie. Herbie, yeah. Herbie. Okay. It'll be better for Herbie and and the people that grow up with him. Okay, and and the next generation. In fact, uh, to have a healthy next generation, we have to start adopting a new paradigm already now. 
Yeah, agreed. You are starting it, and all I can wish is that you continue and you attract more and more people. And let's bring ourselves together under this under a, a common purpose and a common umbrella. Yeah. Uh, I, we have a website which is called the the Upshift uh, Movement, and we invite people to say what it is that they want to commit to, what it is that they think is a wiser, better way of living. Nice. You look up the upshift.com. Yes. And and give us your idea what you're actually doing. And then we will try to bring those people together who think the same way, who have common common shared purposes, you know. Lovely. So, we'd we'd love to. We're being very practical of trying to create an upshift. Upshift is the shift toward evolution, the direction of evolution, which means living within the bounds of nature. And not exceeding it all the time. Yeah, yeah. But you are showing yourself. So I would welcome very much our joining forces. In that oh, way. thank you. It, it would be an absolute honor. And we very much appreciate it. And we'd love to. We'd love to be a part of that uh, movement. Thank you very much. I want to bring out something that Irvin said that I think is very um, insightful and you were talking, Irvin, about the fact that what uh, Jarvis and Katie are doing is very pragmatic and it's tangible. It's an actionable company that exists. It's taking the conceptual to actual. And I wonder if, because so much of the way society purchases and consumes is almost force-fed, and if there are more of, of my green pods out there, more and more, and the balance tipped so that people didn't have to, people are brain drained. They're on autopilot oftentimes. They don't want, they come back from work, they're exhausted at the end of the day. They go into a supermarket or a department store. They don't wanna to have to think twice. They just wanna grab the necessities, get home and chill. So if there are more and more, the tipping point as we talk about of companies like Jarvis and Katie's, then I think maybe the better instincts of people would just be naturally led, you know, like the flow of the current, the flow of the river. Do you all agree with that? Uh, do you think that it's not that man's propensity to do bad is the issue, but that certain people that uh, instruct and dominate how purchasing and spending should be are more of the issue, which then you gets... Know, Alison, yes. call, call me an idealist <laughs> or a utopian, but I don't think our propensity is to be bad. Mm -hmm. I think okay. human propensity is to be good, to be part of the web of life on Earth. That's our deepest propensity. We have been artificially discultivating it, putting something else in its place, which just means short-term advantage. What is not, what is called in business called the profit. The profit is for you alone. You do with it what you want, within within the limits of law, of course. But otherwise, you are free to do because you have no ethical constraints. If you mm -hmm. earn it, you spend it, you know, the way you want. And you are fighting that. And it's very important to change the mentality and to recognize that we are loving beings. It sounds idealistic, but I think ultimately life would not be developing on the planet unless one part is in contact with coherence with all the with the other mm -hmm. part. And mm -hmm. the, the way we feel this when we are become conscious of this evolutionary propensity, what we feel is an unconditional love. 
few people feel it as yet. But ultimately, when you talk to spiritual people, when you talk also to big scientists, scientists, great artists, what comes out is the ultimately the insight that you gain is love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Idealist, but I think that the ultimate solution is to regain our propensity to live with each other and not at the expense of each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of life on earth. That, I think, is thinking along the new paradigm. That also means feeling alongside and then acting alongside. Mm -hmm. You're helping on that, I think. So let's do the thinking, the feeling, and the act and put it together. Yeah, <laughs> nice. What a show that will be. <laughs> that's that's a two-act show with no act three finale, Irvin. <laughs> that's what we want, right? <laughs> I have to leave now. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very thank much. You. It's an Lovely absolute pleasure. Thank you for giving us your time and, yeah. and a platform. Wonderful to see you, Irvin. Let's work together. We'll continue, but wonderful. <laughs> Let's continue uh, just a few more minutes. I'm so happy that Irvin could, could share some of his uh, interactions and thoughts with both of you. I, I want to ask you something, and I really wanted Irvin to hear this as well, because, you know, we're talking about change. And I know that Jarvis, you had studied, uh, as you say, for many, many years with a shaman, but was the real uh, gut-wrenching turning point for you, if you will, when you did that reality TV show and you were in the garbage dump? Yeah, it was absolutely my, it was a wake up call. Yeah, it was a wake up call moment. So uh, for those of those listeners that don't know, I was invited to go onto a TV show to live in a, a, a extreme um, environmentally challenging, uh, sorry, extreme and challenging environment linked to what we now know is the climate crisis. So this was in 2006. So it was a long time ago. It was a Channel 4 show, which is one of the main TV uh, channels in the UK. We didn't know where we were going. All we knew, it was going to be extreme um, and there were going to be uh, nine other people. Um, it turned out I was the only one that was asked. Some researchers had met me and thought I'd be quite interesting character to have on this particular show. Um, and we all thought we were flying off somewhere to the desert, to Borneo, to the Arctic, to the jungle. Mm -hmm. Turned out we only went a few miles away from where we were all living um, to the local landfill. So it was a dump, you know, which is where... You know, this 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 place that we think we're throwing stuff away, you know, there is no away. It goes to either landfill or incineration. Or now we're shipping it to other countries that uh, don't have the same kind of laws that we have when it comes to dumping rubbish. So it's there is no away. So we um, we got dumped on this on this environment with nowhere to sleep, nowhere to eat, nowhere to shower, nowhere to cook food, nowhere to go to the toilet, and we had to use other people's waste in order to create an environment that that, that was um, habitable for us. And there was a, a moment, and I'll be very brief with this, but thank you for asking the question. The third week, we built somewhere, it was become home. We'd all kind of come really come to terms with this awful environment, actually. Um, and the local refuge truck or rubbish, rubbish, uh, rubbish dump truck came and dumped its rubbish on our site. We had to start siphoning through it. Um, and we had to decide whether it could be recycled, whether it could be compostable or whether it had to go to landfill. So they were the three choices. After about 20 minutes, I got physically, toxically sick, really bad headache, nauseous. And so through my um, energy work that I'd learned through my shamanic uh, practices, 
I, I knew to lay on the ground and release energy and, you know, just kind of clear my, clear my channels and, and try and get rid of the toxicity, which with hindsight now, of course, why would you do that? Why would you give it to the earth? Which is what we were doing. I, I release, release, release. And then I take a huge, big revitalizing breath from the earth to cleanse myself. And as I took this breath, uh, it was like a bolt of lightning. It was like a shock to the system. I heard these words, how you are feeling now is how I feel. I'm sick and I need your help to tell people. And I literally felt like I'd been spoken to by Gaia, by, our, you know, by Mother Nature. Um, and I cried because it was a strong moment. I committed to camera that I dedicate my life's work um, personally and in business to educating and inspiring and informing people about the about the you know the the damage that we were doing through the way that we were consuming and here we are you know 14 15 yeah 15 years later um and in that time we've launched you know the world's biggest ethical lifestyle magazine with national geographic we then launched a magazine with the guardian we now have our own business we now have a marketplace and we actually want to challenge amazon you know amazon sells a lot of products that are very bad for people and planet but it still sells them. So that's not ethical. Why would you do that? So we've set up a we've set up a business model built on a, a purpose being to be a global brand that has made it impossible to buy or behave in a toxic way. Our vision is to enable planet, people, and profit to exist symbiotically. And our mission is to make it simple to live sustainably. Mm. So, you know, that, that but but I did have that wake-up call and I, I can't look back. Because if I did, I, I wouldn't be being honest to myself or or, or the, this voice that was, you know, that said to me it needed help. So, but I mean, you know, I think everybody has these kind of awakening moments. It's just whether how how defined we are to be able to, or uh, how privileged we are to be able to follow through with actually doing it. And luckily I was in a position to be able to use my skill set, which ultimately is I'm a really good salesperson, <laughs> to go out to brands and say, look, we want to do this. Will you come and will you pay us money to be able to do it? And they said yes. <laughs> <laughs> simple as that. You as get dumped in the that. dump. Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just for, for people that are listening, uh, you know, everybody doesn't have the privilege of being dumped in a dump, just as not everybody has to get, for example, cancer to have empathy or understand what it feels like to be in a physical condition of pain or to have a, a loved one that dies and to understand the emotional stresses. Oh, we've got so many new paradigms coming into the <laughs> vision here of the screen i'm so sorry our viewers can't well maybe our viewers can hear them say hello at the end of the show how's that yeah <laughs> um it's just very important to understand that empathy can come in so many different ways and one doesn't literally have to be plunged into the dump or literally have one spouse die or have a cancer or a terrible disease to know what suffering feels like because we're all humans right mm -hmm. we all have that somewhere I hope in our DNA, although Katie, would you would you subscribe to the fact that somewhere in there we are all also of a compassionate nature somewhere also within our DNA? And we feel empathy. We feel empathy deeply. I mean, as a human, that's one of the most beautiful characteristics I think that we have. We are able to see and to to internalize and to feel another person's feel. I mean, that's it's a miracle that we're able to do that. It's beautiful. And you're absolutely right. You don't need to you don't need to experience all of these things firsthand. 
to to be inspired or moved or or motivated by them and i think you know the suffering of people all over the world is is one of the big things that's making that drives that drives me in business it's that's what that's what motivates me and makes me want to change things because the the injustice of it all and the pain and the 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 fact that you know that sustainability is also a feminist issue it's also an animal rights issue it's also so many other things all bound up in the same um in the same narrative really and and that's what that's what really drives me is just to, to make it to, to relieve some of that to feel it and to and to want to do something to want to do something to change it and to make it better um so absolutely i think empathy and compassion are, are, are enormous they're, they're very very important things so, i think there's a there's a beautifully said so, yeah. sorry alison no, yeah no, it was, please, please it was beautifully said katie yes. it was beautifully said and 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 unfortunately it looks like you know if you look at historically people that are you know if you like awakened or have this kind of this thing that we are describing as being enlightened you know whatever that is right most of them if not everybody i don't I haven't obviously researched this have had some adverse um traumatic um awakening whether it's a car crash in a very simple way and nearly died or whether it's a cancerous thing and they've recovered or you know whatever 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 right and you know if that if that is the awakening moment and even if you look at some of the you know deeply spiritual beings of our time you know christ for example apparently went out in nature for 40 days with no water and no food and you know and shamans and babas and and you know sadhus and you know they all kind of do this kind of i call it a sh shamanic awakening you know perhaps people do need to go through that near death experience in order to evolve and uh, and i think what we what katie's how katie's described that and how you're describing it which i think is a beautiful quality do we have to do we have to go through that deeply traumatic awakening in order to evolve i don't think we do mm. i think there was but there's just been a program um of of reality that we could perhaps move away from into, as Irving described it, as the new paradigm. And what does that require? So that's the time that we're in. We're in the explorative time of what does it require? <laughs> Definitely not damaging nature because we're not going to have the clean enough resources to be able to um, to, to keep our lives, you know, uh, abundant. So, but I just wanted to share that because unfortunately it just, it does seem that, 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 that pain creates or near death experiences create that awakening moment. But can they create awakening moments in other people? Like when we watch climate refugees and when we watch all of the terrible things that are happening around the world, can that, can empathy with that act as a kind of yeah. proxy maybe? Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. So th this really brings up, um, let me just pose a final question, and it's an important one I want to hear both of your opinions about, is, you know, if we're talking about empathy, do you feel that the messaging of the uh, IPCC reports, the SDGs with the UN and the 2030 time limit 
is empathetic? Is that accommodating and allowing? Because, and I already see you shaking your heads, both of you. <laughs> Imagine what's going to happen when we don't meet those goals, which a lot of people have already indicated we're not going to meet. What no. next messaging are they going to rebrand in 2030 or the few years before to keep us you know, solvent to keep us somewhat morally afloat. Is this yeah. like the boy who cried wolf or let's say the boy who cried world? Because, you know, this is the big, is it the big, it, not the big lie, but how many times can we really imbibe another rebranding of a messaging? What do you both think? I think it was probably in some respects quite important in the early stages to couch everything in quite scientific terms because it was evidence-based you could prove it and it would we, we're trained to understand facts and to you know facts can't be negated they can only you, a fact is a fact right we are we, our brains are hardwired to understand that so having that initial discourse very science-based was possibly not a bad thing um because it made people actually understand this is what this this is this is the truth of what's going to happen and we were programmed to understand it and to and mm. to compute it in that way however <laughs> um <laughs> that you know there, there are weak spots to science as well truth can evolve things can change the climate change deniers leapt on that and said well you know it doesn't necessarily follow that this is all down to human in human created climate change it could be it could be anything else it could be just nature cycles so i think science is possibly the wrong language if we want to move the majority of people um but i think finding the right language is very difficult because what we're talking about is overconsumption and that's the very very western thing and i it makes you think about people who are living with with nothing who are being told you need to live with less and I mean, I, I, it disgusts me to think about it in that way because we're really saying, okay, in the US, we're eating too much, we're using too much water, we're going on far too many long haul flights, we're driving around too much in our fancy cars. And, we, and we're saying to people in the global south and in other areas of the world that, you know, you, you can't, um, you can't have air conditioning, you can't, you need to have renewable energy. And it's just, it's not, it's just, the, the, dis, the, the there's a huge huge discord there in terms of the language that we're using and i think we need to be really really careful that we don't make this into something that people just have no stomach for because i certainly have no stomach for it when we try and when we look at it in that way so finding the right discourse i think is really important and i don't know what what that is um despite being a writer and despite writing every day about this i still don't know what that right discourse is and maybe if we did we'd be in a different place but we need to we need to make people feel and move people in a way that isn't patronizing and isn't condescending and isn't um and isn't just disgusting for want of a better word well said it seems that jarvis is very much uh, in agreement i see him nodding his head in disgust as well <laughs> but loving disgust folks this is a loving program we're trying to what we want to do is we what we don't want to bypass the dark stuff we just want to bring it up gently up and out so we can cleanse and clear up a lot of this stuff that's been yeah for epochs I, 
I think to, to build on that as well, if I may, if we've got time very briefly, you know, one, one of the biggest organizations on the planet, if not the biggest, is the UN, right? So I've been doing some work with the UN. I've worked with, you know, a few leads, should I say, at the UNFCCC. And they know we are not going to reach the SDGs targets by 2030. They know, right? So they've already started doing work behind the scenes, um, and you can actually research this. It's called Resilience Frontiers. There are, I think there are five or eight. I can't actually remember now. It's either five or eight pathways that they've worked on. I worked on pathway number two with them. Um, and essentially, this is what happens when we get to 2030, when our temperatures have gone beyond um, understandable uh, numbers, so we are literally out of territory that we don't we don't we have no idea what's going to happen right how how do we have to live then and they've already started mapping out the processes of how they would like or how they believe human beings should live on the planet by then so they know this information how do they know it because they worked with nearly every indigenous culture on the planet and took the you know tried to understand the wisdom and the co-creative nature of the indigenous ways and have, have began to build that into a mapping system that presumably in 2030 they'll start marketing why wait but, you know the beauty of the beauty of human beings is is we all have a natural level of understanding beyond the linear mind we have this sensory awareness that we know something is true or not it's just in our nature it's a sixth sense whatever you want to call it i call it a spiritual body that we're out of balance but the point of that is is that if there, if if there's a truth and if we begin to remember the truth the indigenous ways because we're all indigenous to planet earth there is no them indigenous and us indigenous we're all indigenous the problem is we've forgotten the natural ways of living in balance and harmony but it's in us it's deep within us because it's a, it's a memory that just needs to be either remembered or reawakened so i think that the machine the big business the un hollywood you know, all of the opportunities, you know this, Ellison, as well, yes. because of SYNC, you know, yes. the opportunity is there. We're just driving the wrong narrative, the wrong message. So I truly believe that if we started marketing love, empathy, co-creation, mm -hmm. unity, in exactly the same way that we market fear, war, you know, whatever, whatever, people would jump on the bandwagon because that's what people want to do. They want to be part of the club. And so we just need to change the narrative. Exactly. This is this is exactly what Irvin has been doing along with Fred with this wonderful podcast, what Irvin is doing with the upshift movement, the next level, what synchronistry, the televised party for the planet celebrating every living being is intending to do after 35 years of party planning, what my green pod is is branding and with your podcast, there's a lot out there, folks, we want you to know there's a lot out there. And as more and more of that shift occurs where the balances tip, maybe the, you know, the propulsion will pick up in that direction. Uh, I think this is a very important conversation that we're having today and that we need to continue to have even amongst us privately. Yeah. I wonder if you'd like to bring back some of those new paradigms <laughs> that belong to your wonderful tribe. Um, Herbie, I, Herbie's busy writing on, the, writing on the wall, thankfully with pens. That, that <laughs> Well, <laughs> this is so important that the youth 
of the world feel included in, in this podcast series that we're doing and in every other aspect of life. I think you're, here we go. Okay. Well, you can't see everybody who's listening on this wonderful podcast today from around the world, but I just saw my first little new paradigmer whose name is, would you like to say hello? What is your name? Phoebe. Phoebe? Vivi. Vivi. Oh, Vivi, come closer to the little Yeti. The little Yeti is a <laughs> <the> microphone. <laughs> and say hello to the world. Anything you want to say? Say your name again to the world. <laughs> Abby wants to speak. Okay. <laughs> say hello, world. Hello, world. <laughs> wow. If that isn't a love song. <laughs> Next little paradigmer. <laughs> and this this is Herbie. Hey Herbie. Hello, what do you say, Herbie? I think he's done it. I think Herbie's, he's done his done his bit already. <laughs> he's done his bit. It looks like Herbie has a little bit of toothpaste and the little Yeti is <laughs> intriguing him. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Herbie just breathed into the little Yeti and everybody's having a wonderful time right now. So I think this is a perfect note to conclude on today. What a beautiful, beautiful podcast this has been. Um, I want to just thank Katie and Jarvis, my green pod, of course, Irvin and Fred, our hosts. Uh, brilliant, brilliant podcast today. I want to thank the, the darling youth of the world and primarily Herbie and Vevi. Did Vivi, I Vivi. 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 Yeah. <laughs> as well as our production team led by Nora Cesar, Michi Sugihara, Fabrizio Beria, and ITEA Institute's Greta George Habib and Chris Yap. I'm Allison Goldwyn, inviting you to join us for more podcast episodes and to gift a copy of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing book to yourself or a loved one. It's a wonderful companion during challenging times. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing is is the place to tune in. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So remember, when building that new paradigm for humankind, let's include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. And now to conclude our program, here are some thoughts from our co-host, Fred Sapp. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for the effort um, that Jarvis and Katie is doing. Indeed, this consumer era created a lot of waste, changed the way we think. Actually, we, the baby boomers, are responsible for it. In the industrial process, when we created machine to replace us, the washing machine, the dish machine, this machine, that machine, now AI machine, the finally is gonna take over human doing most of the work, even taking over from professionals. We have to think about what do we really are gonna be working? What is our purpose now in this new era? And how do we create an era which is challenged by sustainability, but inform us that we have to focus on flourishing. 
Flourishing is our nature. Flourishing is spirituality. Flourishing is the direction that we are built to go. Sustainability is a wake-up call. Look at nature. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Even an animal get killed, the different packing order. The lion may kill it. The hyena eat it. Other scavengers eat it. And finally, the insects, the worms, the maggot eats it before it returns to soil and the earth eats it all. Everything is not wasted. We have to change the way we think. An ethic is a relationship between the self, as we understand the material self that we are, and our environment with other people, with other animals, with nature. Because life is everything, and we're in it. I remember watching a National Geographic uh, film, or maybe it's a Netflix film, where Obama talked about national parks around the world, and he reminded again and again, we are part of nature. We are in nature. We need to connect to be part of nature, and nature does not waste. But we have this consumerism going, stimulating economics. And if you look at the waste per capita, skyrocketing, especially in cities. We have a waste problem today. How do we process all that waste? However, if we change the way we live, that problem will be gone. Meantime, in the last 250 years, population has skyrocketed too. Well, simply the worth cannot sustain soon to become 10 billion from a few hundred million, just not long ago. And the amount of waste increased. These does not look good. We have to change the way we live. Now, human being is the most self-aware of reality inside us, of our true needs, of knowing why we are here, who we are, and what we're supposed to do. We're all here to create humanity. Again, that humanity must have the awareness that we are part of nature, that nature has a flourishing energy evolution, constantly changing, change the only observable truth in this material world. Change is the only thing it doesn't change. But behind it, the spirituality or in the quantum science, the cosmos, is informing the evolution energy of the universe. Everything moves and constantly change because reality is spiritual information, consciousness, that when they participate, it forms clustering of energy to keep the appearance of solidity and matter to universe. So how can we get there? 
Well, first we have to shift our consciousness to be aware of what I just said. Then we can have our value system right, which is add value to life, not complicated. Contemplate how you should live that you can add value to life, yours included within that system. So, and then changing. Now, how do we change? Well, first we have to change how we see things. How we see things changes how we think about things, how we feel about things, and how we make choices. So, we have to go on a way of changing how we see things. We need to shift our consciousness so we understand the reality that we live in, that this self includes everything. Now, there are many modalities. I, I work with a, a Chinese um, relational ethics book. It's called uh, The Great Learning or University. Uh, it for people who wants to become great. That we move from the little I to the big I, the big we. So there's a journey, a journey of seeing reality through a journey inside to be connected to our cosmos, the information flow, and run our life. Now, you know, isms, uh, religion separates us. Talk about the same thing, but the language is different, the context is different, the history is different. Well, this is the era of well-being. And well-being is a journey to find and get rid of these isms and see the truth of things and changing the way we think by experiencing the inner spirituality. And then we have to practice by changing ourselves. Our habits, our personality, even our thinking is as embedded that. So as we change the thinking, we practice the change. So for example, you're talking about conscious acquisition. Now we must aware the thing called marketing. Constantly manipulating our operating system, stimulating our desire, making ourselves into habits and robots and subconsciously operating us. Now I'm very guilty, but I'm getting better, you know. But memory of when I was a kid, and I come from a, you know, by social standard, a well-to-do family, because I'm a family business. I'm the fourth generation steward. But still at that time, before consumerism really set in major way, it's a different reality. So we have baby boomers who created consumerism, created globalization, created all these market economy. Should have something to do. And I totally agree because um, I created business 10 years ago, similar than yours. Uh, it has three divisions. 
it's called Octave. Octave investment is to invest in things that will create, including plant-based diets, which we cannot afford, but we have a choice. And then we have Octave Institute, which is a school of life to really understand what journey we should take. And then Octave Living, changing the way we live. And I, I agree with you. We have to be more mindful how we consume, how the where it came from, where it's going, making this so-called circular economy complete. It is an economic world. The government and the business got to work together. Now, in the business sector, we are awakening too. The recent big movement of ESG and the rise of impact investment is an indication of our own awakening. What is ESG? ESG is bringing business to do what it should to be. That business serves humanity, not manipulate humanity for their own interests. And that there must be some ethical boundary called ESG. But the true thing is the impact investment, which nobody knows how to do it, because it is about finding the greenness in us or we become greenwashing. The business must have a direction, and this direction of the mission of the company has to change. It's not an ambitious, I want to be the biggest, I want to be the best, I want to be, you know, this and this. But the true aspiration that every business must have impact investment. How can I participate to create a humanity that seeks its true needs of finding well or well-being and happiness? One that is advocated for a new economic parent by, by the United Nations. ESG is not separable for impact investment. And if you have impact investment and we're green inside by changing ourselves, it's all about intent and effort, the big picture and what we serve and how we serve and how we collaborate. The SD17th partnership. Frankly, if we do not have collaboration, all the 16 try to achieve holistic approach can fail, will not succeed. But if we succeed, in number 17, which means we're all working together in partnership, in collaboration. You can have 500 SD and it's okay because holism is a lot more than 17 goals. If we're goals oriented, we already are not seeing the right way. We need a millennium understanding, the millennium goals of holistically approach to solving problems. These are just touch points that we think about. But when we develop all these checkpoints, as for example, climate change, CO2 emission, well, you know, that's a good. How do we actually going to replace fossil fuel with renewable energy? When that's happening, when the price goes high enough, the market adjusts itself by changing uh, operational costs, 
to using sustainable energy and making major capital investment to make it work. A major investment in technology, the system take care of itself. Now you see oil prices are, are being manipulated to be always high because they realize that there's no future for oil. But now back to another formula. Climate change is a very complex element. Biodiversity, you know, you're creating, emitting carbon, but you need a process. But meantime, we cut away our lungs. The rainforests are cut down millions of hectares a day, making room for cattle raising and agriculture. We need to process. We need to green our land. They make to process the CO2 emission. There are much more to climate change, climate warming, there's, there's many. Some are natural, you know, that's why we have the ice age. Some are natural. Humanity should put its effort to participate in this whole environmental management. And they're one, integrated. Biodiversity, reforesting, all connected climate change, and putting where our money that we created, that goes nowhere to go. There's so much money, liquidity flowing around into impact investment, into technology investment for the future, not for consumerism, not for immediate return. Capital that are important so we can participate with our environment, but it must come from first raising our awareness and beginning a journey of going inside as we be guided by our inner knowing, guided by our own inner spirituality, we would be able to cross the barrier created by ourselves, the isms, the religion, the cult, all these worldview needs to be united by an experiential worldview that comes from our inner journey to find out the existential question. Who am I? Where do I come from? And where I go on? Now the need is there. Why? Because we're already affluent in many, many parts of the world. And holistically, if you take the 90 trillion and divide up by 8 billion people, the number stacks up. We can meet our inner needs. And as we move to be affluent, we move from survival to indulgence to purpose. And in that purpose, if we go in a journey to find out who we are, we can truly actualize ourselves and be ourselves and be coherent and find our own well-being. And the well-being cannot exist with just us being well, because we can only be well if all is well. And changing our thinking, changing the thus policy on education, uh, changing our healthcare system, changing our infrastructure to allow this happen is a major work of this era. We have to change with the era, from an industrial era, soon to be finishing off 
with machine replacing human being and allowance to move with a different concept of wealth forward, a few a new humanity forward. And every one of us is part of that co-creation of humanity. Of course, leaders on top, important, because they're the one who shape the infrastructure, the administration, the system, both the, the economics that created from the public and the economics created private needs to work together to create that. So we need a new paradigm. And I think the newest paradigm we all believe is science. And I think the paradigm of quantum is a good start of interfacing in the in mutual uh, understanding and common language creation to create a new global humanity worldview that's based on the discovery of science and its understanding and uh, cross-indexing of cultural traditions like religion and culture. So yes, we have to change the way we live, not just for sustainability, as I said, that is just a wake-up call. We have to change ourselves for flourishing find coherency, finding well-being, which we all want, isn't it? We all want to be well and happy, but well, we can't reach there until all is well. So we have to think about, you know, how we are creating the new humanity by changing how we live and shifting our consciousness and our spiritual journey to find out who we really are. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara with theme music Chimera by Biba DuPont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Tsao, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, the podcast on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Alison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide. Wishing you well-being till we talk again next week. <laughs>